FBSC Finance brings you 30 Minutes in Finance, your weekly finance-related podcast. I'm your host, David Garbett. I'm Arwell Griffith. I am a senior partner of JRW Chartered Surveyors. I suppose I've been around for 320 years, I reckon, in this profession. (laughs) (laughs) There or thereabouts, it can't be far off. No, I've been um, looking at buildings, all types, for about 40 years now. Um, creating havoc in the business for all that time. Um, so I'm, in addition to being a chartered surveyor, I'm also a chartered building engineer. So I do quite a varied um, type of work, I suppose. I'd look at all sorts of buildings, whether they be commercial, residential, for valuation, for structural and other condition. And, um, and I've seen all sorts, I suppose, over the years. I can't think of anything I've not seen, but you might surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> no, appreciate that. And, and thanks for, for coming on. As I said earlier, I will really appreciate it. Um, are, are we able to go back that 300 years and, and sort of talk about yeah. how you actually got into the business in the first place? Yeah, by all means. Well, I mean, um, I started off being a footballer, uh, would you believe? And you, Well, you wouldn't believe if you saw my current physique. <laughs> but um, <laughs> my dad was a footballer. We're from North Wales as a family. Um, uh, just uh, we had a dairy farm so I was brought up uh, on an outside life um, milking cows at 6am and 6pm and having warm milk on my porridge shortly after finishing the milking in the mornings so I got used as a, a young kid I suppose to working outside and it's never really appealed to me to be inside all day every day um, and so when the opportunity arose to do a job that was outside, I suppose I was always going to jump at it. Um, first, uh, when the football career that I thought I was um, the next David Beckham and turned out not to be, <laughs> um, I had to do something different. My dad was a um, professor of property law and uh, I suppose he shunted me towards property um, when he realised I wasn't going to make him several million kicking a ball into a net. So, uh, <laughs> so he pushed me in the direction of something in property. And I, I first started looking at becoming a, a solicitor, uh, soon decided I didn't fancy that. Um, and then just took a course in land administration, which at the, in those days, all those years ago, uh, you had to do an exempting degree. Um, an RICS exempting degree. Uh, So I I did a degree in land administration uh, and then the two years um, assessment of professional competence, which at the time was um, uh, quite an interesting uh, time because you had to work with somebody out on the tools, as it were. Um, I mean, I was very lucky to be taught by uh, a chap who's now nine, uh, in his early 1990s, uh, early 90s, still around. I still have the opportunity to speak to him now and again. And uh, he's still very interested. He was the sort of guy that I think I've tried to be when I've been teaching. That um, uh, if it, I remember in those days, I just wanted to get back and kick a football. But he always went the extra mile teaching me detail. And so if a standard building survey takes three or four hours, we'd be out for five or six, solely because he was telling me how a window's put together, what holds the roof on, um, what means we're not falling through this floor, all of those sort of bits of information that in later years, um, you know, I look back and I, I was extremely fortunate to be taught by him. And, um, and I think, uh, it, because it was practical, because it was outside, it was something that I took to uh, almost like a duck to water, I suppose. And I've been doing the same now for almost day in, day out, as I say, for 370 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. And in terms of, I know you mentioned, obviously, that you've got some, you occasionally do the teaching. Is that something that you're you're heavily involved in, as in sort of training new surveyors and um or is that just the, the odd bits and pieces that you do? Well, I mean, um, uh, I don't, uh, th- there's not that many people coming into the profession. We're not, not a sexy profession. Um, Lies. Uh, and, yeah, yeah. And, uh, 
uh, I mean, I was thrown into it many years ago when, when my dad's university, um, their uh, third year degree lecturer decided three weeks into the new term that he'd had enough. Um, and I remember my dad calling me on the Thursday before a four hour lecture on the Friday saying, I need somebody to come and talk about valuations. You will do, he said. So, um, <laughs> so on a Friday morning for probably about a year or 18 months, I used to go into university and try to make head or tail of how to teach people how to value. Um, uh, and that was a seat of your pants type stuff, I suppose. But looking back, it was a good grounding. I often think, I often think that there are turning points in everybody's career that um, at, as you come towards the end of your career, which is inevitably where I'm heading sort of in the next few years, I look back on those days and you know, having to um, know myself how to teach somebody how to value uh, and in later years, how to practically teach somebody what to look at um, when they're on a particular site um, is a challenge. Uh, and it's a challenge I've enjoyed, certainly. I'm sure some of the people that I've taught must think I'm bonkers. <laughs> the, last, the last one um, that came along was a, um, a young gentleman that um, uh, we were looking at the front of an old chapel uh, and the foundation stone was in the bottom corner, uh, which I don't think he'd spotted. And so I said to him, so, okay, what's this building talking to you about? What's it telling you? What's it screaming out at you? Uh, and he was looking at the windows and the roof and the chimney and the party heads. <laughs> and bless him, he couldn't see a thing really. And I said, well, it tells you a date it was built. Uh, it tells you um, who laid a foundation stone and it's talking to you. Uh, and I think he probably went away. I don't think I ever saw him again. <laughs> he probably <laughs> went away, completely nutty teacher. But, uh, um, but I always think that, you know, the, the practical things, I was lucky enough, I was very, very lucky that um, uh, I became in later years a uh, president of the uh, Chartered Association of Building Engineers. So in the early 2000s. Um, and uh, during the course of getting up the presidential ladder, um, I met uh, some very, very um, pleasant engineers, one of which uh, I'd worked my way up to a position of chairing the professional practice committee. And um, one of the guys uh, said to me one day, I, I quite like you as part of the team on something I'm involved with. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we met up in uh, Regent Street in London a few days later, uh, and it turned out that he was one of the lead architects for the reconstruction of the Iranian embassy in Prince's Gate, um, that the SAS or somebody had done a great job of blowing up all those years ago. Um, and so we, uh, we were in the process of re rebuilding it. So um, my old boss, Peter Dennell, said to me, look good on your CV. I mean, I didn't do an awful lot because I was not fully qualified at the time, but I was involved. Um, he was teaching me to do things and uh, we did the levels survey for the new building that's there um, because it had to precisely match the position, appearance and pretty much everything else of the old building. And so I learned um, backdoor, I suppose, um, how to do a level survey on, on quite a prestigious building. But it's, it's another thing I just stumbled into, really. Um, I keep stumbling into these things and, um, <laughs> and I'm still here somehow or another. <laughs> stumbling <laughs> away. Uh I was going to say, it's always, um, I've always, uh, my, my journey to become the president of that particular body Started, I lived on my own in a, I had a little flat in Crouch End, North London, uh, and a flyer had come through the door a few days previous uh, about um, a speaker uh, giving a talk on, I think it was um, some defects bill, latent defects bill or something that was coming in or making its way through Parliament. Uh, and it was raining. And I remember getting uh, home to that flat from the office that was around the corner. Um, these are in the days long before I was married and uh, I had nothing else to do that particular Tuesday night. This talk was going on down in uh, Victoria 
near the coach station. So I thought, well, why not? So I drove myself down in my little bright red mini, mini metro and uh, parked up in the rain, went to this uh, talk, enjoyed it. And then the chap said, right, now we come to our annual general meeting, um, part of which was uh, voting the new members of committee on. Uh, and he turned to me and he said, well, are you interested? And I said, no. And he said, well, you must be, you're here, aren't you? <laughs> So that particular night, because it was I had nothing else to do, uh, I ended up on the uh, Greater London and City branches of the association, uh, and driving home thinking I'm not really sure quite what just happened. <laughs> but I always say to um, people coming into the profession that you never know what's around the corner and you have to take every opportunity because from that one visit that I could easily have not bothered going to, uh, I was chairman of that Greater London City branch within 18 months. Uh, I was part of the uh, National Council probably two years later. And then just uh, two or three years after that, on the lowest rung of the presidential team that led eventually to the presidency. That took me around the world. I had some fantastic times. And Mrs and I travelling around um, America, Hong Kong, Malaysia, Singapore, pretty much all, all around Europe. Um, and that was all because there was petrol in that red mini metro that night that got me down into Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what did that actual job involve as in the, the presidency? What were you uh, sort of promoting or running or controlling? Well, the, the association, um, you've got the RICS, of course, that is at the head of um, lots of surveying around the world. Uh, but there are various bodies at the head of engineering, which is a slightly different area, different space to what the RSS occupies. Um, engineers will look at technology of buildings, for example. You know, they'll, they'll be the people that make sure that your roof doesn't spread and fall off. Um, the RSS um, does some wonderful work, uh, whereas the um, associate, uh, Chartered Association of Building Engineers does equally wonderful work in a different space. And what the president really is a figurehead for that body. Um, uh, that year I'd wander around the globe giving talks on what was happening in the UK property industry, my take at least on what was happening. Um, I'm sure that many times I was wrong, otherwise I'd give you the lottery numbers for today, <laughs> if you want them, or for Saturday. Um, so it, it was just really, it, uh, the president and the presidential team were figureheads traveling the world, um, spreading the message, if you like, but um, um, it was good fun. I mean, and along the way, it does, for engineers, for building engineers, it does much the same as uh, continuing professional development that the RSS requires. It would give training. Um, I was part of the ill-fated Home Information Packs initiative for um, six or seven years. I remember going down into London, uh, designing something called the Home Condition Report. Um, but um, uh, and parts of that are now evolved into what the current RSS Home Buyer Scheme is. So it was opportunity, and being the president gave me opportunity to meet people. Uh, an opportunity to uh, learn more because I don't think you ever stop learning uh, or if you, if you think you know everything then you don't know everything is what yeah. I'd say um, and I think that um, you know, it, it, it was a, it was a time and I'm, I'm pretty much out of that I mean I became jobs for the boys afterwards of course you know as we got older and went through um, they wouldn't ever want presidents to stop um, assisting them with their development over the years. So um, for the last 10, 15 years or so, I've been uh, doing various things for that association. And the last thing I'm doing now is as a trustee of the Benevolent Fund, making sure that um, um, those that require assistance can have assistance. Because um, you don't know what's around the corner. Times are hard, aren't they? Times are very hard for some people. Um, and, we'll, uh, we'll get on to, to some of those bits and how they might affect things uh, going forward. But um, 
in terms of let's say somebody was just looking to join the business or, or get into being a surveyor now if you were starting again and this was the sort of path you've chosen is there a specific sort of route that you'd need to take or is it you kind of like you said just fall into it by either being um an estate agent and then going and training and doing further or how do people get into the sort of the business now I'd, I'd, I'd recommend that they came and spoke to somebody like me, not necessarily me, somebody that's been around a little, a little while because there's a wealth of experience and there's an awful lot of different disciplines in surveying. In, I mean, valuation is one discipline. Building surveying is quite another. Um, building engineering is a third. And so um, the people that are coming newly into the surveyor role would be well advised to have a chat with somebody that's been around for a long time. Because I think that um, not every discipline is for everyone. Um, and I think that um, uh, somebody, I mean, we used to do taster days, we used to do taster weeks. I mean, maybe years ago we had tie ups, you know, it doesn't happen anymore, sadly, but we used to have tie ups with local universities that they could send people across that came to work with us for a week, two weeks, a month, however long it was. Um, and they'd see what we did. And then they'd go on to somebody that did something slightly different, either within our practice or um, at a different practice. And then they could then form in their own mind which elements of what surveyors and valuers do and engineers do that they may like or not like. And I don't think that um, until you've experienced a little bit of what a day-to-day -day surveyor does, you can really know what's going to appeal to you. Um, the thing with the uh, assessment of professional competences, it's called now for the RICS, is that you need to select a number of core disciplines. And those core disciplines are quite wide in what you can select. And it's as well for anybody um, that it's on the first step of the path towards RICS membership or building engineering membership, um, that they should uh, get as wide a um, experience uh, as they can before they choose which discipline or disciplines are for them. Um, I, I suppose what I did in, in, in my early years is that I tried everything really. I was with a practice that was an estate agency um, that did some engineering, that were valuers, that were building surveyors. And I spent some time in each of those areas. Um, and although I do possess the uh, state agency qualification, I'm not an estate agent. I've never sold a house other than when I was being taught how to do it all those years ago. Um, but I think it's as well always to have your finger in lots of pies so you can you can find out what's going on in that field. And then you get the fuller picture, I think. I think you get um, uh, a global picture of what's going on. The more disciplines you're involved with, the more um, bodies and associations that you're um, a member of. Um, but I think that um, uh, if, I, if I were starting out again now, um, do you know, I don't think I'd do anything else, anything different. You know, I've enjoyed it all. Um, as I've seen it all, um, enjoyed it all. Uh, I mean, there are times when um, you're standing in front of this huge big lump in the pouring down rain and the snow and the fog, that you do wonder <laughs> why you don't have an office job, but um, I don't think I'd do anything different really. No, that's that, yeah. I think you're very lucky if you're you're coming to the the end of your career and you've enjoyed it pretty much every step by the odd rainy day. Uh, <laughs> I think yeah, there's probably few people that can say that really, which is is kind of a shame. Um, but no, I'm glad, and I think for the sake of this podcast or this time as hopefully we'll get you on a few times um as there's probably so many things to go um the, the most common uh sort of interaction i guess that the normal sort of our listeners will have with someone like yourself uh will probably be in 
just normal sort of valuations for lending purposes. Um, potentially, if they're doing developments, uh, sort of a development appraisal, that kind of thing. But it will be very much in the case of a normal valuation. Um, and one of the, the words that does come up quite a lot on there is, is red book valuation. Are you able just to explain what that is? Because it is, it's a, 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 an interesting name um, for them and, and where that sort of comes from. Well, I'd say the red book is uh, um, interestingly named because it has a red cover. That's where red book comes from. Well, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> well, it, it did really when you had uh, uh, you had to buy the red book with its red covers. But now, of course, it's all online. I'm not sure if it's got a red cover on it now online. But um, uh, it's 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 the series of regulations and standards um, that surveyors and valuers have to comply with when providing advice on. Um, particular types of property. Um, there are uh, special assumption references that, so for example, the way I might value a house in multiple occupation, an HMO, um, may be slightly different to the way I might value your house or flat. Um, and the red book, the RCS um, uh, valuation standards 2022, uh, will give all valuers guidance on what they should and shouldn't take into account. So it's really a set of rules, is all it is. It's quite detailed and quite specific and woe betide if you don't follow them. Um, but uh, as I say, the red book is simply it's uh, the colour of its sleeve, which um, it could easily have been green book or blue book or yellow book, but I think <laughs> the red book. Just happened uh, to be. Because um, interestingly enough, and on that, um, that sort of no, obviously, first, another thing I completely forgot to say when you first said it is it, it is RICS because rather than RICS, um, or does it not matter? <laughs> well, um, it probably matters to them. <laughs> the, uh, the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors, RICS, um, based they down won't in be Puffin offended Book. if we say uh, RICS then. <laughs> Uh, no, I think uh, you know it won't be the first time they've heard it. And, um, uh, no, the R the RCS is you know lots of people refer to them as RICS, um, but uh, yeah, the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors um, is what the what the title usually is, um, and those of us that are qualified are chartered surveyors. Um, although these days there are a number, of, I mean, for, for youngsters that want to come in, becoming a chartered surveyor, becoming a fellow of the RICS um, is probably the ultimate. Um, becoming a member of the RICS, a corporate member of the RICS is probably most people's goal. Um, but there are other forms of membership now, um, ASOC membership, associate membership. A student membership is always a good, I think student membership might be free at the RICS and so anybody that's um, considering a career in uh, surveying uh, would be well advised just to look up, get onto the RICS website and search membership grades and um, if, if somebody's not qualified or not even really started the path to be a surveyor um, it would be a good bit of advice just to register if they're thinking about it as a student member. As I say, I'm pretty sure it's free. Um, but um, And for that student membership, there is uh, access into various materials and things that are useful guidance from the RCS as to um, the next stage in, in getting along the career path. Um, so that would be a good bit of advice. But yeah, I mean... Um, uh, RICS is, is one um, way that the RICS is referred to. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fine. Yeah, I'll, I'll stick with the RICS from now on. I know I've been uh, calling it RICS for, must be seven, eight years or whatever, but <laughs> we'll, I'll, I'll sort of revert that now if it's, that's the way it's meant to be. Um, and do you have to, if you are sort of valuing properties, do you have to be a, a member of the RICS or, or not? But um, if you're valuing properties for a lender, then um, you have to be a regulated valuer. Uh, and so uh, 
that's another sort of subdivision. So once you've once you're a chartered surveyor, uh, you'll then register and pay your annual fee as a chartered surveyor, and you'll pay an additional fee um, for being um, a regulated valuer. And so what tends to happen then is that that opens up the arena that you can um, undertake valuation work for lenders. And most lenders won't use unregulated, uh, unregulated valuers for their red books, um, red book valuations uh, for loan security purposes. But um, anybody can value anything, but whether it's um, appropriate to do so if you're not fully qualified and don't have uh, professional indemnity cover is probably a bit foolhardy so I mean you could if you wanted your house valued you can ask the next man that walks down the road if you like um, and there, yeah. there have been there have been cases where um, I, I, I forget the name of the case but it was many 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 years ago where two people were discussing over the fence the condition of something on the back of somebody's property. So one neighbour to another, and one neighbour gave advice over the fence, unqualified, that proved defective. And the neighbour who then was out of pocket uh, successfully sued the neighbour the other side of the fence. So um, I wish I could remember the name of the title now, but um, you have to you have really to be careful. Um, and I always caution people about going outside the area of their expertise. Um, I don't think, um, I don't think it's ever a good thing to best guess. You have to know what you're doing or you don't do that job at all. So uh, whilst, whilst anybody really can value outside of the arena for secured lending, um, unless you, know what you're doing I don't think it's a good area to be in um, you get it wrong and there's a little bit of liability there yeah I can, I can imagine um, and talking about the liability there's been quite a bit of talk lately about um, the PI cover the professional indemnity cover um, for valuers um, and some people and this might not be true so if you can set the record straight that there has been some uh, tightening of rules, especially around bridging lending, um, which has led to um, some valuers not actually being able to undertake valuations for bridging lenders or short-term lenders. It, you, is there any truth to that, or is that just a, a rumor? No, I think I think if you if you if you put it in perspective, really, what's happened is that some years ago the um, the market for professional indemnity that surveyors and their brokers could go into uh, was quite large. Um, and then uh, I suppose what, where I saw the market hardening is um, when I suppose, I mean, what, we, whatever happens in America always comes this way, doesn't it? Almost always. And there were, there were huge, big legal cases in America, people suing people right, left and centre. And I'm afraid that's come over here. Um, and uh, surveyors, valuers um, uh, are getting sued, uh, whether or not uh, they actually um, get their advice wrong. The perception is if a lender loses something, they're going to go after somebody, aren't they? And so the, the target is the surveyor, the value that's provided them with the advice. They'll, um, there's a tendency for um, what's called confetti claims over the years. Um, let's just get this claim out and see where we go with it. And um, that's hardened the market. Lots of insurance firms that don't want to take the risk of going to court have settled that's encouraged more claims. It's made um, a number of uh, insurance providers think twice about being in the market. And it's not that long ago, perhaps two, three years ago, that there were very, very, very few providers of professional indemnity cover. Um, that saw two things. It saw um, uh, a very significant hike in uh, rates um, and if I told you what most surveyors now pay for whatever cover they go for, 
you make your eyes water. You know. <laughs> Come on, spill the beans. Let's let's hear it. Well, What's I mean, a, mo is it most because I'm not going to tell you what hours it is, but no, I no, can give just you a, in general. In general, most um, most valuation firms, I'd say, of reasonable size, would want PI cover of somewhere around two or five million pounds. Let's say an average five million PI cover. Um, some uh, some firms do carry 10, 20, 30 even, and more. The bigger firms in London carry um, vast amounts of cover. But the typical PI cover for a five million pounds. So if, if, we, if we're being covered for five million pounds, uh, you would be very, very, very hard pressed to get PI for under a hundred thousand pounds a year, wow. which is a fortune. Um, and um, you know, it's not that long ago where that same five million cover would have been twenty thousand or twenty-five thousand um, pounds. In some, I mean, I've heard horrendous um, uh, quotes being received by some firms over the last two, three, four, five years. And so, what's happened is. The second branch to that is that um, firms have been forced to negotiate with the insurance provider um, better terms. And the only way you're going to get better terms is to reduce the risk. And the bridging arena is considered risky by um, uh, professional indemnity um, uh, insurance providers. Um, and so if you say, okay, we're not going to do um, bridging lending because it's risky. You've got a chance of staying in business, although your um, work pool will be less if you're used to doing a lot of bridging lending work. And some firms that um, high quality firms uh, haven't been able to get professional indemnity cover um, because of the cost of PI. Um, I remember the most horrendous case I heard recently um, was, well, I say recently, it would have been around about five, six, seven years or so ago. The PI cover for this particular firm, which had been somewhere around a hundred odd thousand pounds, um, was offered on renewal at one million and five thousand pounds. And shocking you know absolutely shocking um, and of course um, that's unsustainable really and so though that particular firm was forced to reconsider um, what sort of work it would do um, and it, uh, it continues to trade today doing work that um, is less broad than it did all those years ago because um, yeah, if you think about it, it like on the average sort of valuation cost um, let's say for, for us it's probably somewhere in between 500 pounds and a thousand pounds plus fat so if, let's say yeah. on the, the top end of that a thousand pounds for our sort of level of lending you have to do a hundred valuations before you even just cover your pi uh, not you necessarily but these sort of firms um and, and then obviously you then get to sort of paying people that's a, a lot of work considering um the this sort of amount of time it takes to review sort of properties get the report over um and that is that yeah that's actually surprised me um and it kind of neatly leads on to sort of a question about potential earnings in um as a, a valuer or surveyor um obviously again not going to ask you specifically unless you want to share um but what are the sort of potential incomes for people that that do actually operate in in uh, as valuers well i think i think there are opportunities to to earn really well mainly related to the lack of people coming into the profession um i mean the average age of a surveyor now is certainly late 50s um and because there, because there's not so much comp uh, not so much labor pool available surveying firms are having to pay a lot of money to get good talent in. So I would imagine that somebody that's just qualified at the ROCS um, as a chartered surveyor, as a member, as an MRICS, as opposed to an F, which is a fellow, um, 
might start at around £65,000 a year, something like that, plus bonuses. Those bonuses would be um, a percentage of um, the fees over and above a certain amount per month, per quarter, or however long. Um, a re it's a lot of money, but you know that's where that's where it is. I mean, but it's not not that long. If you'd have asked me that question um, two to three years ago, I'd have told you it would start at about forty-five. But um, nowadays, sixty, sixty-five thousand pounds, possibly seventy thousand pounds, for a qualified chartered surveyor um, is the going rate. And anybody that's been around in the profession for a few years. Um, and, uh, and is starting to get reasonably well uh, versed in various areas of the profession, um, would comfortably earn north and sometimes well north of £100,000 per annum um, if they worked hard. So, um, for, but you see, it's, it's, there's, there's no point being a chances of error if it's not something which is going to interest um, yeah. you. And so, um, whilst those uh, levels of potential income are high in comparison with a number of other jobs um you know the job is the job it's not for everybody um uh, i mean the, the game these days is influencing isn't it i mean it, people want to be influencers <laughs> yeah I mean, that's um, the podcast about uh, yeah. i reckon so it's fine um that's yeah that, that is uh, like I, I'm actually quite surprised and in regards to what people can earn. Um, and one of the things that I, as you're saying, in terms of if people are sort of interested in, in property and, and that kind of thing, um, would you say it's a, a good sort of thing? Cause you get involved with those, you get to sort of see properties. Um, I don't know how often you're able to sort of come across cheap deals that maybe you could take advantage of um, is that something you're allowed to do or is there a conflict of interests that, that crop up or how does that yeah. work sadly it's a very specific conflict <laughs> so uh, uh, no you might you might look at something and think oh that's a good deal but um won't be tired if you got involved in it no, <laughs> you're not allowed yeah. to put a cheeky offer no. in and get some uh, no, <laughs> no. not if you I, want uh, to be a surveyor not, not, not unless you want to maintain your chartered status no. <laughs> yeah yeah i thought that would be the case but yeah at least it's um because i think it's a sort of industry that you could probably use you the skills that you have to actually analyze other deals obviously not anyone else's deals uh, but your own that you go out and source uh, are you into property at all on the the side uh, or is this sort of as in like developments or anything like that not really no i mean um, it's been looked after busman's holiday isn't it really it's busy enough <laughs> isn't it? and um, i enjoy sort of other things in life really i mean I, that said um uh i suppose yeah, my, I live in an old um, property at the moment and my missus wants one of these concrete and glass things where you don't have to do anything. And, um, uh, and I'm sort of finding that um, I've seen those being built over the years and um, I'm not so sure that I could physically do it myself, but I could certainly oversee the construction or something like that. So when the time comes to um, leave the wonky floors and the doors that don't open today but do tomorrow uh, and go to something modern I think I might I might like to get involved with overseeing you know something along the way that would be quite good a grand um, design no. sort of um, massive yeah, uh, uh, sort of glass monster yeah I, I mean I my my um interests I mean uh, there are an awful lot of opportunities if if you like the profession there are awful lots of areas that um, it takes you into I, i've done quite a lot of tv and radio over the years um because just because you know i mean uh, um i used to do a lot of stuff for bbc wales because although i may not sound that welsh you know our well wind griffith is definitely north walian <laughs> um, so, so um, i used to enjoy uh, doing some live phone-ins where people have problems um, 
uh, property problems. You know, I'm not going to tell them to fix their gammy leg or something, you know, and, uh, but I could tell them what's wrong with the roof or whatever. Um, but that's that's you know that's just the different thing you can get into. I mean, um, uh, the thrill of the chase, if you like. I mean, uh, you don't have to just. No, I, I don't think I could just day in day out do the same thing. I suppose is what I'm saying. And almost every day is different. You know, even if it is just a different type of building, a uh, different age of building comes with its own challenges, doesn't it? It's it's built differently. It might have a different um, way the roof stays on, a different type of roof, and every single facet of every single building you look at. Um, has its own challenges and the key I think is is learning along the way um, uh, what are the pointers that something may not be quite right um, people often ask me when when I go to property what are you looking people say to me don't look at the mess well I don't see the mess I don't see the mess you know I look at the building and people often say what is it that you're looking at um, and I suppose the best way I've been able to try and explain that is if I don't feel overly well for some reason or t'other, I'll go to the doctor. And the doctor is probably asking me questions about um, how I feel. And in his or her mind has a completely different picture of, of if I, than I would if I were looking in the mirror. You know, they're, they're seeing me almost as an x-ray. What could be going on? What's, what's that symptom causing that? Is, is that related? And I suppose as a, a surveyor or a valuer um, is doing the same thing. You're turning up to look at something and you're seeing a completely different animal to what the person might be seeing who actually lives there. You're looking at it almost in x-ray form, if you like. Um, and so I, I like that um, thrill of turning up and looking at whichever building it is, because everything's different. Unless you're looking at a pair of semis one day, a pair of 1930s semi-detached houses, exactly the same, different handed. But that seldom happens these days. Everything's different. What I saw this morning will be different to what I'm looking at tomorrow. How many sort of properties do you see a day? Um, depends which which field you're in i mean if if you're a surveyor that's in uh, employed by one of these big corporates they'll probably want a certain number of points per day um one point for a standard mortgage valuation of a standard size house three points perhaps for a home buyer so they would probably want um, a home buyer and two or three valuations which for me is far too much you can't do them properly at that level um and I have heard of um, valuers being asked to do five or six mortgage valuations a day, every day. So that's um, 25 or 30 a week. You know, that's, that's, that's not on. I um, think one of the valuer we had to come do our remortgage must have been one of those. He was in and out within about two minutes. Um, literally got his laser out, point at the wall, point at the wall, point at the wall. Thanks so much. Bye. And that was it. Yeah. I was I was actually shocked how quick but, that but, was. It was a basic flat, so. Yeah, but but it's you know it, it shouldn't be that way. It, it drives me absolutely crackers when you know I hear that a lot. Um, you know, if I turn up to do say a building survey, um, a standard three bed semi building survey will be three to four hours to be done properly. Um, and I can't, you know, I'm trying to wrap my brain sitting here thinking, well, how could it be two hours? How could it be two and a half hours? Well, it can't be if it's done properly. Um, my my um, boss always used to say, if you get a surveyor that turns up in his suit and tie and he's doing a building survey, he's not doing it properly <laughs> because is he going to get into the loft and climb around in all the dust and dirt, which is what you need to do. Yeah, otherwise you're not going to see it. Um, and, and I think that um, a standard mortgage value, the quickest one bedroom valuation for a flat of say 500 square feet has got to be half an hour, 40 minutes minimum yeah. to be done properly. Um, I've, I've, you know, and there are, and, and the reason he was at your place for two minutes is time pressure. 
he's got to get to the next one, got to get to the next one, got to get to the next one. Um, and I also lament a little bit these tablet systems, you know, the tick box. Does it have a roof? Yes. Does it have windows? Yes. <laughs> You're describing uh, that guy precisely yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. with that sort of thing. Is does it have a balcony? Yes, it does. Yeah. Did he see the balcony? No, he didn't. <laughs> Just took well, our word his, for it. Well, his report will almost certainly um, be sent off before he's left your uh, road in his car. He'll gone off for printing and um, or whatever, not printing for distribution. Um, we we found little tricks to be quicker over the years. I mean, our typing is done in New Zealand, for example. Um, so if all the surveyors get back, I don't know, let's say three o'clock in the afternoon from a day's play, and if they're all dictating, we don't require them to do any more than two usually in a day, um, decent sized ones. We don't really, especially slightly, if we don't really do small valuations, we don't really do we don't really do your couple hundred thousand pounds houses or flats or something. We we do we do slightly bigger stuff. Um, so we don't want the surveyors out and about on the road, not having the time to do things properly. And so um, the, the 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 standard rule number one here is do the thing properly, you know, or, or don't bother. Um, and of course, if they're all getting back at three o'clock in the afternoon dictating, we have. We use a smartphone handheld dictation system. Um, so uh, they do the research, they're ready to go with all the papers in front of them. They'll dictate on to, we do have a standard template, which is quite a long one, um, but they'll dictate the reports and they'll send it off to New Zealand. And as long as it's in New Zealand by seven o'clock tonight, it'll be back for six o'clock tomorrow morning. So that's where we think we can speed up and it's on service uh, speed as opposed to inspection speed um yeah because they're working while you're sleeping uh, <laughs> over there yeah. or, or eating me fish and chips or something you know <laughs> and, yeah uh, they're and if you find a good one um and, and ours are excellent um then when it comes back um but I'll, I'll, you know i'll be di dictating something um later that will go to new zealand that will be back for me to check through and I'll be in the office probably around half seven tomorrow morning and, and it, will, it will be at the lender by 10, I guess, by the time the office has PDF'd it and got it sent over. Uh, you know, and um, uh, the research is done, the dictation isn't done, and, you know, it will, it will be a few short hours and it's there. So uh, we've shaved service time off. And as I say, uh, I can't see um, how you can practically do something faster then you know the time to inspect it properly is the time to inspect it properly isn't it really i mean you can't you can't run around somebody's house because you want to save half an hour or something talking of saving time um i know we didn't actually use them specifically during the time but during lockdown and following lockdown there's been a lot of people that are actually using um, automated valuations are you able to talk to us and, and let everyone know sort of what they are and and how reliable they might be well i think i think the, the problem i have with them is that um a good number of them will give you lots of comparable evidence um and, and wherever that comparable evidence is drawn from, it tends to be fairly limited in its detail. And um, what it does is to say, oh, this house down the road that also had three bedrooms sold for that much on that date. Then another comparable, well, yes, it's another three bedroom house. But I don't think there's any substitute to having eyes on. Someone somewhere has to have a, a, an eye on what this comparable evidence is upon which the um, advice from the automated system is given. I mean, a three-bedroom house, um, which is 1930s built, is different in many respects to a 1900 built three-bedroom house, is much different to a 1960s built, uh, just post Second World War, three-bed house, is very different to a three-bedroom house just finished last week. And so it's not... Um, uh, enough i don't think for an automated system to say um we've researched all three bedroom houses within a mile or whatever 
and this is the average and this is upon which we think the range is x to x. Um, I suppose it depends on how accurate the lender or those using it need that range to be because I suppose if you're lending 20% of um, the lower part of that range then the risk is probably reasonably minimal but um, um, I don't I don't think I, I'm I've, I've always been an advocate for somebody um, somewhere um, to look at something whether it be a photograph whether it be um, detail provided by an automated system and decide how right that system is likely to be or not so it's 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 useful and don't get me wrong I don't think they're useless I think they're useful um, but they can be very easily bettered for minimal additional time and and minimal additional cost we can end on a, a relatively topical sort of question in and that's in regards to um, the mortgage rates um, and the impact of the, the recent sort of mini budget and everything and the rates looking as though they're going to continue to increase. Um, firstly, have you seen any immediate impact on the property uh, sort of market? And if I can ask you, like I do with most of our guests, to get your crystal ball out and give a little bit of a prediction, um, where do you think it's going to sort of end up and what impact do you think it'll have in the sort of short to medium term? Um, it, in answer to the, your first question, yes, there's been a, um, quite a discernible drop off in queries, uh, inquiries, sorry. Um, we, it's, it's been a flat out um, 24 months, I think, you know, we can sustain growth and activity, I think, in the market and everybody seemed to have been settling down a little. Um, good uh, rates and um, lending duration uh, durations offered by um, lenders and people sort of knew where they were. But um, the, the last, uh, I'd say, 10 days uh, has definitely quietened the market there. Um, there are still a good number of inquiries uh, coming in, requests for quotations, those sort of things. Um, but diaries that were uh, perhaps booked, um, say four or five or sometimes six weeks in advance, that's how busy it was, um, are now being booked perhaps two weeks in advance. And so there's been um, quite a marked change very quickly. Um, uh, we think that there's going to be probably a quiet remain, remainder of October um, whilst people try and get a handle on exactly what's happening and, and where rates are going. Obviously the upward pressure is on interest rates um, and people are understandably a bit scared about where they're going and I think uh, what with other uh, things going on around the world and rising costs at home. I think it's inevitable really when people see these costs going up that they need to try and wrestle back a bit of control, don't they? And they're not going to spend a fortune um, on new places. But that said, my, my dad had a, a great saying, it'll pass, he used to say. And it didn't matter if it was when I was a young kid in a scrape in school or and my footballing days when we weren't playing that well. I remember one game where we were playing uh, and we lost 3-2 and I scored all three of the opposition's goals in my own net. Uh, it will pass, he said. <laughs> and um, I think the same with the property market because if people aren't buying something to move to, they may decide to spend some money on improvements or extensions to their existing homes um, so there'll be some activity in the building industry in the construction industry in architectural industry um, they might borrow money to do that you know in smaller chunks than than moving home um, I do think interest rates will go a little higher um, guilt rates as you know are uh, increasing and the, and the property market is a little bit more volatile than gilts and so as gilt rates go up 
the property interest rates are going to be higher than that. So it'd be a good thing to watch how the gilts interest rate um, performs. Um, and there's an upward pressure on those as well. Um, so I think in the, where I see it, now this is, this is where my crystal ball is, but as I say, um, after I've given you my view, I will also give you the winning numbers for this Saturday's lottery. Um, so get your pen, get your pen ready. <laughs> um, I think we're going to be quieter um, and there's going to be um, a much reduced level of activity for October. And until we get some sort of certainty of where interest rates are going and some stability and a little bit more stability around the world, um, I think the property market's going to be quieter. But then people are going to live somewhere, haven't they? I mean, if, if the buying to live somewhere um, is uh, quieter, then there will be perhaps an improvement in rental properties. I mean, Zoopla and Rightmove are currently forecasting for, for example, uh, that for London and the home counties, rents are likely to increase somewhere between three and 5% this next 12 months. And I know that they are considering a revision to that upwards. And so um, there is an area of, of almost every property market that will do better cyclically. And I think that um, in the buy-to-let um, arena, uh, the demand will be so strong from people that perhaps want to rent than buy, then there will be good levels of activity over there, if you like. Um, so it will pass. Um, and I think that the uh, when things settle and there's a little bit of certainty, then I think things will return to a little bit of normality. Whether it will go all the way down to those low interest rates that we had before, probably not. Um, but you're talking to somebody that um, first uh, bought a flat with a Citibank mortgage for 17.5%. So that <laughs> seems such a long time ago and there's a yeah. big difference. I think that would I mean, bankrupt a lot of people <laughs> if that happened would, now. It would be a disaster, and so it's not going to happen. Um, but uh, if, for, for me, I think we're going to be where we are um, now for some time. Um, and whilst October will be quite while people, we're not going to return to, you know, in November to where we were the last 12 months. I think we've got a year's worth of consolidation. Um, of seeing where we all are, seeing um, how much we've all got, what we want to do with our lives, how how world and UK events pan out. Um, but um, uh, we might all be in a better position um, now. Uh, now I give you those lottery numbers. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Because it was really interesting your comments about the buy to let side of things. Because um, how much do you think Zoopla and Right Moves predictions on the rents increasing are because that demand will go up as opposed to that the interest rates have gone up. Um, so buy to let landlords will have to up their rent to cover that increase. Uh, or do you think it's like a double whammy where it will build on top of each other? I think it's, a, it's um, I think uh, I've done quite a lot of um, refinancing of HMOs. Uh, and uh, buy to let places over the last 12 months or so. Um, and I think uh, some lenders had longer term bridges, if you like, um, contradiction in terms perhaps, but some lenders um, had terms of five years or so. And I think a lot of um, uh, landlords have, have not necessarily seen coming what's going on now, but have been prudent enough to fix for quite a long time at rates that were a lot cheaper than they currently are. And so the whammy of having to put up rents to cover additional mortgage costs, yeah, I can see that. I can see that there will be a number of landlords that will have to do that. Um, but I suspect that the stronger force for upward rents will be demand. Um, because there's a finite supply of these things and regulation in that industry uh, is tight now. You can't just open your doors and, and let it. You know, there's all sorts of regulations now that you have to comply with. Um, 
And as, as the demand increases, then, then I can see that being the main driver for the increase in rents that Zoopla and Rightmove are forecasting. Um, the, what you don't really want is, uh, I, I can't see, see the problem, the, the, there is a slight issue that I think might arise and the interest rates for buy-to-lets or for landlords wanting to buy go so high that they don't bother. And if they don't bother replenishing their stock, then the supply of rooms in an increasing level of demand can only force rents even higher. Um, for me, my forecast is that um, it will be more than 5% in the next 12 months. But, you know, what do I know? <laughs> Anything could happen. It's just... Now, I'm, I'm sitting here with my finger in the air, um, just like everybody else is trying, trying to best guess. I guess it really does depend on what the Bank of England does, the government does, um, as well as obviously the global situation. Um, so it, I guess it's a watch this space sort of thing. Um, but I've probably held you long enough, um, and I know I've only got through... I would say about two thirds of the questions that I was hoping to, um, but we can get to that next time. And I was wondering if um, there are still people listening, which hopefully there are, uh, they will actually, going back to your radio days, um, want to sub submit comments below um, so that we can obviously answer those. So the next time we have you on, um, hopefully in a, a month or two or a couple of months uh, you'll be able to go through them so please do leave a comment below uh, if you do have a, a question for our world property related um, or anything uh, we'll we'll filter some of those out that aren't um, before I let you go um, would you like to um, let people know either where they can find you or obviously get some uh, help and support from your firm at all yeah, I mean, if they want to get in touch with me, by all means, it's uh, JRW Chartered Surveyors, um, 0845-838-0930, or give me a buzz on uh, directly on my mobile, 07850-204037. Um, delighted to assist. Um, or if I can't assist, I may know somebody who can. I can pop you in the right direction. Perfect. Uh, and I'll have all of the links and uh various bits and pieces in the description below. Um, so thanks ever so much for your time. I really appreciated it. Um, and then, yeah, definitely we'll have to do it again. I should look forward to it. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks, David. Bye.